Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And my name is Abby Ashcraft. And this is episode 17 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 17, you probably guessed from our little altered intro, we have our first and very special guest, Abby Ashcraft. Welcome, Abby. Thank you. Excited to be here with you guys. It's very great to have you. So uh, Scott and I have prepared for some definition, a clever definition of prepared. We have prepared a, a list of questions, but probably as a jumping board into some other questions that have been unprepared. Uh, so, uh, so Scott, why don't you uh, kick us off there? Cool, Griffin. So Abby, why don't you tell us about your um, quizzing history right from the beginning? Definitely. I've been involved in quizzing since I was 11 years old, and so... If you can do the math and know how old I am, that means I've been in this thing for about 10 or 11 years. And I first got interested in quizzing when there was a meet hosted at my church back when I was in fourth grade. And I remember thinking that it was crazy and hard and I could never succeed at it, but I still really wanted to try. And so I jumped in as soon as I was in sixth grade. And back then, Lighthouse Quizzing only had three kids. But slowly, we've grown over time, and I just... Loved the competition, um, went to Great West several times, and got the chance to go to internationals three times. And then um, once I graduated, I stuck around and helped out in Lighthouse Quizzing, um, and then became a quiz master in the district. And then this last year, I also led the program at Lighthouse Quizzing. That's really cool. Thinking back to when I was a quizzer in my quizzing career, I didn't have this completely linear straight line of enjoyment and success and interest and all that. And I'm just wondering if in your experience in the seven years that you quizzed, if you had any moments where you kind of, it was like a turning point of one sort or another. Oh yeah. Um, (laughs) There were some turning points early on. Definitely. I remember after the first quiz meet that I went to, my whole family was talking about how they saw a competitive streak in me that they had never seen before. Uh, Like I started the meet so timid didn't even know to stand up for my first question to answer it. I was that kind of rookie. And um, if anyone remembers Syrah, she was so nice to me and like gestured to make me stand up and repeat the answer again. Um, But yeah, that totally clicked right off the bat that I loved this thing and I wanted to do well. And so I went to Great West my first year. Um, But for the first few years, I was mostly just kind of doing key verses or chapters that hit me right. Um, But I think... It was, it would have been like my junior, I think it was my junior year of high school. Um, No, it was before that. It would have been my freshman year of high school. Uh, I decided I was going to do um, references because Caitlin Gross was graduating and she was the reference queen. And so I thought that if she was gone, I wouldn't have competition. But then Jeremy Swingle started doing references as well. And so... (laughs) That was frustrating, but then, you know, he eventually graduated, and references were really what turned my um, quizzing career into a much more focused direction, I would say. That's when I started doing full material and um, really enjoying being at the higher level of competition at both Great West and internationals. How would you say you came to the, I guess, conclusion that you wanted to study um, references for the purpose of... of, um, jumping a lot on reference questions? Like, was it just through observation? Was it through talking to anyone else? Other people telling you stuff? I'd say it was mainly because 
I liked consistency and knowing that when I jumped on something, I could figure it out and get it right. I didn't like interrogatives um, at faster speeds because of that, because you have to jump and, you know, you have a 60 or 70 percent accuracy. And so there's a chance you won't get it right. But in my mind, I'm like, okay, I know the verse where I'm at. If I know the strategy, if I know the system, I can figure out the question they're going for. And so in my mind, they were very concrete and they were also really available because few people could do them well. And so that's what kind of steered me in that direction. Hmm. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. I find it fascinating to hear quizzers as they get older and maybe gain motivation and study more to hear like, what was it that, that, got them to study more and be more interested because I think it's it's often different quizzer to quizzer and it's rarely something an adult says. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that's a good thing for adults. Like you're not going to convince any of these kids to do something. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, it has to be a, a moment of self-discovery. Oh, man. Like as a program leader, I can tell you so many times or even just as a coach working with some of the kids and you, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of kids come into quizzing thinking is that if I memorize a verse here or another verse here or another verse somewhere in the middle of the material, that'll help them get questions. And sometimes it can, but generally it's having a consistent plan or doing key verses or memorizing a chapter that that's what helps you. And so I've had so many kids come up to me in like their third, fourth year of quizzing and go, man, I started studying like key verses or a chapter and I'm getting questions. And I'm like, what have I been telling you for three years? Yes. That's how it goes. So, yeah, sometimes they just have to figure it out for themselves and figure out what their niche is. So speaking of coaching, in the years that you were coaching prior to being a program leader and even as a program leader, but but prior to being a program leader in particular, as you were focusing on coaching and, and helping kids, both, you know, the experienced kids and rookies and uh, folks who had never seen or heard of quizzing before at all these different levels and across, you know, the competition of the various different meets over a season. What were some of the things that worked in your experience, things that worked out well for you as a, as a coach, the strategies that you tried to employ that, uh, you know, seemed to resonate, seemed to really work? What were things that you tried and it didn't really work out, maybe things that have backfired, lessons learned as far as coaching goes. What are some of the stuff that kind of comes to mind? Hmm. Wow. There's a lot that we went through, especially since Lighthouse's program, I'd say grew a lot in the four years after I graduated. I think we had 15 to 20 kids when I graduated and we're now above 30. And so some of the strategies that we used right off the bat don't apply now just because of time and logistics. Um, like originally one thing I would do is every, after every meet, I would sit down with each kid individually and we would write out a study schedule. Like literally I would take a calendar I'd copied off and we would write down this day we're studying these verses. Now I'd say for some kids that was really helpful, but for other kids it was like pulling teeth and they absolutely hated it and probably threw it away as soon as they got home. So I would say the greatest thing I've learned is that every quizzer is different and that what works for one kid may not work for another. And that sometimes as a coach, when you're dealing with this vast variety of kids, you have to try something. And maybe some kids hate it. But for these three over here, that was like the golden ticket that helped them figure it out. And so if anyone out there is trying to work with kids, trying to figure out new strategies for how to help them and encourage them, I'd say just try something and see what happens. Um, because, yeah, I remember 
even in recent years, getting some feedback from some of the older kids, like, oh, that was dumb or that didn't help. And I said, yeah, but you're the one who studies every week. You come to quiz practice prepared. There's all these kids over here who don't. So um, I'd say also that getting the kids to have support with each other as much as possible really helped. Um, we set up study partners for one of our meets, and some of them found that really helpful to have a buddy that they could call or that they would email with, and that it was just their one go-to person that helped them to study. So, yeah. Now, the program that you run is very, very large now, mm-hmm. and are there things that you've learned from running that program? Even though you've just run it for a year, you were involved with it for a few years before then. I'm sure you mm-hmm. ran a lot of things before you were the de facto program leader, but are there things that you've learned um, that can be helpful to other programs? Yeah. Honestly, the biggest thing I learned is that you don't have to do it alone. To bring in other adults, to bring in um, other parents. Um, honestly, like I came into this year kind of knowing that it would probably be a one-year deal. And so my goal was to work myself out of a job, that all the hats I've been wearing that I would slowly be passing off to other people and to bring more um, of the parents into our program. And so at the beginning of the year, we ran workshops for the kids and for the parents. And I know, Scott, you and Lily came and helped with that, and that was awesome. And um, it helps so many more of our parents to see that things like scorekeeping and coaching aren't scary and they don't require like a degree to do them. Like you don't have to have years of experience. Um, I think a lot of people can be intimidated by quizzing because it is so complex and there are so many minute details. But when you show them that here's the set of skills you need to be a coach or a scorekeeper, it become it kind of takes the facade and the complexity off. And so we've been so blessed to have so many different parents jump in like, People I didn't really even know, people that I didn't think would want to be involved, but and they have enjoyed it so much. And that's what I've seen is that by passing off more and more of that responsibility, more people are being blessed by quizzing. And so that's one of the, one of the coolest things I've seen. What were some of the things that you or Lighthouse did to grow the program? I and mean, you were talking about, you know, when you started, mm-hmm. there were three people and then, uh, you know, grew up to 15. Now uh, the t- uh, it's up at 30 plus at this point. Like, what mm-hmm. are some of the things, I mean, granted, Lighthouse has, you know, a pretty good pool of folks to, to draw from given the size of the church. But I mean, you were recruiting people from outside of the church as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, one of our biggest um, groups that we pull from has been the homeschool co-op that means the lighthouse. Um, and honestly, at this point, most of our recruiting is done by the kids. They go to their friends and they pull their friends and they say, like, I mean, I think Sophie last year recruited like 10 or 12 people. Um, she kept coming to me and be like, oh, this other friend wants to join. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll take another one. Um But one thing we did early on that helped a lot was going directly to our Awana program. Um, We worked with TNT, um, which is the fourth through sixth graders. And at the end of the year, we would go in and we did a demo. And our demo was off of, like, famous Bible verses. And I made the questions all in the style of quizzing questions, but also in a very, like, obvious and easy format so that kids who've been studying these verses over the years would have an opportunity to get some correct. So we would have quizzers demo and then we would bring the kids up to try it out. And uh, we found that a lot of kids got interested in it after like getting to actually be a part of it and to see that, Oh, I got a question, right. 
it's fun, it's accessible. Um, so we did that at both the Iwana program and at the youth group. Um, those were, I think, our main outreaches that really got us somewhere. I'm stumped on the next question. Um, <laughs> I think one thing that I, I see from Lighthouse that I think you, you hinted at earlier was because you're so large, you have to think about running things differently. Mm-hmm. And so you have to plan for the scale right off the bat, which probably in the long run makes a very um, sustainable and well-run program, even if you end up with half the quizzers that you have now in 10 yeah. years, or, you know? Yeah. It's, it's definitely more complex, I'd say, than I've heard from a lot of other programs. And I mean, um, I talked to a lot of other program leaders and their approach is much more laid back and it works because they have a smaller number of kids. Um, but we have a system that we run at practice and um, there's been different things that have come up this year that have helped to really build the community within the larger group because every program you're going to have extroverts, the kids who are friends with everybody, and then you're going to have the little quiet one who only knows their best friend. And so one thing we tried this year that really worked was small groups. And the small groups were devoted to talking about the material, sharing prayer requests, talking about their week. And um, we provided questions each week that we had written that were, um, they were from the chapter that we were studying and were more like discussion kind of questions. And um, the kids liked those groups so much, they asked that we move them to the beginning of practice because we had started with them at the end. And so that's what we ended up doing. And that was our first half hour. And then from there on out, we had a rotation of, um, we had two quiz rooms running and then a kind of a study room slash study skills um, and the kids would rotate either in teams or just in groups of 12. Um, so that was a lot of logistics and planning on the front end, but it just made everything run so smoothly at practice. Um, and, yeah, I don't know if it, it would work with a smaller program, but it's about what's been working for us. So so in your 11 years, um, you know, both as a, as a quizzer and then uh, going in, becoming a coach, and probably, you know, at that transition point, I suspect there's sort of a – uh, a broadening of a, of a sort of a visual horizon of, of sort of the, the, mm-hmm. the number of kids that are sort of consistently in your worldview sort of expands. And obviously you've got your own, you know, group uh, from Lighthouse, but you're also sort of seeing the kids from other churches as well. And you're experiencing things from a different point of view. And then going through and being a quiz master uh, certainly changes the perspective again as well. But across all of those different perspectives, I'm curious to know, like, can you think of maybe one or two stories of, of where you've seen the, I don't want to call it the lifelong impact of quizzing because that's too broad. I'm, I'm, it's more like the, you know, do you have like a story of, of one or two quizzers where like you saw some major positive results happen because of their involvement in quizzing? Yeah, I can think of a couple right off the bat and I'm sure there's a lot more. Um, one thing I realized, I think, transitioning into leadership in cuisine is that it's not all about the kids who are in the top five or the top 20. Uh, because I lived in those numbers for so much of my cuisine career, um, I think I didn't often see the impact it has on those kids who maybe learn 10 verses a year or jump once or twice. Um, I remember one quizzer who's now graduated, um, and she was really shy, and she was afraid to jump like, um, was really nervous in group situations, was really afraid to jump. She knew some verses, but um, she wouldn't jump. And we worked with her, and we encouraged her. 
I think I remember her third year. She had been quizzing for three years, and she hadn't won a jump yet. She finally jumped, and she got it wrong. But we all, like, exploded and clapped for her and, like, gave her so many hugs because she jumped. And then what she told us about a week later is, that was so cool because I realized the floor wouldn't fall out from under me when I got one wrong. We were like, yes, that's the point. And, I mean, she was never a top quizzer, but she loved the program. She loved the kids and her friends. And so those few questions she got from there on out and the program itself really made an impact in her life. And so that was really cool to see. Um, Another one that's much more recent is we just had a quizzer who um, moved out of state. And um, this quizzer was really quiet. And um, I wasn't ever sure if, like, he was really enjoying cuisine or if it was just kind of something that a parent was wanting him to be involved in. Um, But we heard from him after he had moved, and he said that he was trying to find some way to start quizzing in his area because he missed it so much, even though he was one of those kids who wasn't getting questions. And that was really impactful for me to see that even if it doesn't seem like they're in it for the competition or if they're really enjoying it, that there's a big impact that's being made just by the community and just by God's word and being around that. And so those kind of stories, the ones that really impact me. Those are wonderful stories. I love hearing those kinds of things. And it, you know, it'd be great to have some sort of structure built in to hear those stories more often. Yeah. I think often you hear about these stories when people are done with quizzing um, and maybe, maybe they don't realize um, how special it is to them until they're done. Right. The whole, mm-hmm. you know, right. until it's gone. But um, I think hearing those kinds of stories would be really helpful to someone like me who gets to guide the structure of the program. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and if there are ways that we can tailor uh, the structure of the program to help kids of all different motivations, abilities, um, so that it's a fulfilling and great experience, um, would be great to know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So... Let's uh, let's turn the tables a little bit. What are some of the... We've been talking about some great things about quizzing. Uh, I know you're moving, unfortunately, and we're going to lose you uh, to the program for at least a little while. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, we're all praying that you guys move back and you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> come, come back into the program a little bit later on. Uh, but that being said, uh, given that you're, you're, you're taking a, 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 some bit of a hiatus here, what are sort of your thoughts maybe on things that the program could do better? The, what are things that we were doing okay, but we could improve on or things that we're maybe not doing so great on? Hmm. You know, it's tough because as someone who's led a program like Lighthouse, I now look at the district as a whole, and I have a better vision, I think, for how difficult it is to lead what such a large group of people and to lead kids of such diverse interests and um, abilities in cuisine. Um, it was interesting. I don't remember. Oh, it was two of our quizzers. Uh, it's really fun. Some of our seniors have gotten into um, you know data analysis when it comes to cuisine historically, and so it's been fun to talk with them because as I'm sure some of us have noticed, like when you look at averages, it seems like in the last couple of years, we've seen a bit of a decline in motivation, it seems, for some of the kids to compete at that higher level. Um, what they were looking at is that statistically, when you look at kind of the ebb and flow, that it's really typical, especially for the book that we just completed. And so I thought that was interesting. But um, I guess the thing that I would love to see, and maybe it's my perspective coming from a program with so many quizzers who kind of end up being middle of the road in terms of 
averages and such, is how we can motivate those kids to continue studying and to study um, in a more variety of ways. Uh, what I mean is that we have a lot of kids who cannot or won't end up memorizing the whole material. And so for those that want to be successful but not just be memorizing a couple verses here and there, most of them end up at key verses, which is great. But I've noticed that then it kind of ended up that our program, we had like half the kids doing key verses. And so I'm wondering if we can come up with ways or lists or strategies to help the kids realize that there's other avenues they can use in terms of maybe they're focusing on multiple answers and here's a way to focus on multiple answers or targeting these chapters might help them with reference questions. Um, do you guys have any ideas on how something like that might come about in motivating more of those middle-of-the-road kind of kids? That's always been one of the toughest questions because there's not a whole lot of um, in-betweens between no material, key verses, and all, all the material. There are these kind of just giant jumps. Um, and I think the things that you pointed out would probably be the best middle tiers between key mm-hmm. verses and the whole material, which is picking a question type like multiple answers that you can, you know, with, with a good list, you can do reasonably well and not have to memorize a giant portion of the material. Yeah. Um, you could probably do something similar on situation questions in narrative years. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I'm, I noticed one church, they had some quizzers that were not studying full material and it was clear that they had studied certain chapters because the mm. chapter reference question would come up and they were super fast on them and were good at them. And chapter references are usually one of the slowest jumped on question types because it is a very difficult type, even for those who've studied the whole material. But yeah. if you've studied five of the 20 chapters and you know those chapters really well, then those questions almost become easy for you. And so I think that... That is a, another good way, and I w- almost would push kids towards something like that as opposed to question types, because then they're memorizing chunks of material, mm-hmm. and they get a lot more from the context of what they're memorizing than just memorizing bits and pieces that are disjointed and can potentially be out of context. Yeah, definitely. I would never want to push kids toward memorizing just a list, because I think that, that ruins kind of the point of quizzing when you think about it, because, yeah, you want them to be studying God's Word. Well, yeah, I mean, basically Scott uh, stole my thunder. One of the, one of the (laughs) things I did when I was a coach, uh, I forget what year it was. I think it was the James Romans year and James is relatively easy to memorize. And then uh, was it the James Roman year? Yeah, I, mean, I think it was because like James comes first and James is relatively easy and Romans, you know, switching from James to Paul is like, ah, oh, what happened? This is so hard, uh, you know, mm-hmm. sort of stuff. So right around, you know, chapter two of Romans, everybody I, I like this. We had four teams at the time and like there was just sort of this wall of like deer in the headlights sort of like, wow, what what happened? Uh, I thought everything was great and, and we can't memorize anything anymore. And, you know, we, we tried encouraging and we tried all kinds of other sorts of gimmicks to to help the kids kind of get back into it kind of find the rhythm from the first uh, the first five chapters and all that kind of stuff and nothing really worked and then what we ended up doing was we had normally our practices were were Sundays and so what we did was we had a Tuesday practice where I brought everybody over to uh, my my apartment and we me and like I, I think two other coaches we basically split the team into different group or the teams into different groups and we got everybody to just sit down and memorize like brute force memorize 10 verses as a chunk 
And uh, I, I think it was, I don't even think it was like starting in verse one. It was just like, we found the, you know, within the next chapter, we found about 10 verses where we're like, okay, these look relatively consistent together. There's a, there's mm-hmm. a, either a theme or a pattern to them. It seemed to make sense to sort of say, great, this is a bracket of 10. And then we just kind of worked through that and started memorizing those things. And I, I, don't, I don't remember exactly where they were, like Romans three or four or something like that. And then that was enough where going to the second meet of the year, they were able to get a couple of questions. Most everybody was able to get, I think everybody on the team across all four teams, that is everybody in the church was able to get at least one question at that meet. And that really was this sort of spark to say like, oh yeah, we can actually do this, you know, kind of stuff. It, <laughs> it reminds me of kind of the, the comment that you were made, making a little bit earlier where somebody would say, oh yeah, I memorized and I'm getting a bunch of questions now because I memorized, right? <laughs> It's sort of like the, well, well, yeah, duh, but until you experience that, mm-hmm. right, until you actually get a couple of, you know, get some chunk of material memorized and then go and go and get a question, there's, there's no, um, I don't know, there, the, the feedback loop doesn't exist until you get that going. And so it's for, for me as a coach, the struggle was always, how do I get that feedback loop started? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, because, you know, once it started, usually there's, there's sort of a self-motivation factor to kind of keep it going. Um, but I will say, you know, kind of going back to something that you, that you said in terms of like, how, how is the program shifting? How, how is the culture shifting? One thing that does kind of keep me up at night is thinking of how our technological shifts going on, you know, comparative to you know, even 10 years ago versus today, mm-hmm. uh, or 15 years ago versus today, uh, it's a pretty significant difference, uh, in terms of distractibility, things in our environment, uh, you know, especially junior high and high school kids, the amount of distractions that exist, uh, that would keep somebody away from, you know, doing quizzing effectively. And that's always something that, that concerns me. I, I definitely see, you know, a lot of kids in the program who are doing really, really well because they're, mm-hmm. they're making a point of memorizing material. They're making a point of putting priority behind quizzing and studying the word and so forth. But I, I worry that's going to be a dwindling percentage um, mm-hmm. over time. So my, my mind is always in that sort of sort of position of saying, well, how can I, how can I get more and more uh, junior high and high school kids to begin that feedback loop, to memorize just enough to get mm-hmm. one or two questions and then get them really excited. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is hard to think about, especially, too, just with all the options that especially kids in high school have for activities and for things to fill their time. Like, in high school, Bible quizzing was my thing. That was what I did. It was what I poured my time into. But I see a lot of our high schoolers are pulled in 27 directions trying to do sports and honors and everything else. Um, I mean, you're talking about getting people started, Griffin. I think what takes into the next level is really getting into the community. Because what we saw this year with Lighthouse Quizzers that went to Great West is that even some of them who had never even thought of internationals, going to Great West and competing at that level and seeing how much fun it was totally inspired them. And I think almost all of them have expressed a desire to go to Great West again or even try for internationals next year. So I think, you know, getting that feedback loop and then getting them into the community could be a big draw. Yeah, I love those stories of the feedback loop because... It's really, it's, it's each quizzer's individual experience, you mm-hmm. know? And it's, I mean, it just shows how unique we all are as individuals. And you're never going to really know what's going to 
be a turning point of motivation for a quizzer to make it super fun, super meaningful for them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Scott, you want to dive into some inside quizzing questions? Do we have any, Griffin? I have no idea. Uh, let me think. Abby, tell us what you think about situation questions and be honest. I love situation questions. They were my bread and butter in quizzing, and I hated non-narrative years because I didn't get to do them. I love them because they are complex enough that no one wants to try for them, but they are simple enough as well in terms of the material you have to memorize that even if you're not doing full material, you can figure out all the situationals because you look for the place where someone's talking. Um, and so I love that. I loved making lists for internationals for situation questions because, again, you can rule stuff out that when they ask one form of it, you know, they won't ask that one again. If you get a who said it, to whom and where, there's probably only five of those. So I loved that aspect of it that, again, you could get so much, you could jump on half a syllable if it was a few specific interrogatives, if you had that background knowledge. So I love them. What are your thoughts? Well, Scott, do you want to jump in? So (laughs) did you ever write questions as a quiz master, Abby? Um, I I wrote questions in a non-narrative year, so I never had to write situations, which I'm thankful for. I'd that was say my, maybe that might be it. That might be it. Yeah, because I think I dislike situation questions primarily from the perspective of a question writer because I mm-hmm. think I'm given way too much latitude as yeah. a question writer. And because of that, if I follow that logic through, it means the quizzer doesn't necessarily know what to expect. Mm-hmm. So like when you say there's only one who said it to whom and where – well, there's nothing preventing the question writer from writing that as a who said it to whom and just ignoring yeah. the where. But um, if there's only, you know, if that quotation starts with I am and a kid jumps on I am and it's a who to whom, um, they're not going to guess the one that has the where because they're waiting for it to be asked with the where question mm-hmm. part of it. And so, sure, a vast amount of question writing is relying on the question writer to do the common sense smart, good thing, you know, because you can't spell out rules of question writing to, like, always, like, you can't write rules for questions in such a way that the quiz, the question writer always writes the perfect question. Yeah. Um, but to me, there's still, like, you know, if a quotation is three sentences long, do you write a situation question with the same questions, who said it and how, for example, on each of the sentences that within the quotation or would you only break it up if there's a complete thought, in, you know, that starts in the middle of the quotation? Because I know some question writers will just write every single quotation that is a valid quotation start for a situation question. And it's mm-hmm. all those little bits and pieces that make me uncomfortable when I'm writing it because mm-hmm. I don't want to screw over, screw over a quizzer. I want them to know mm-hmm. what they're going to be tested on, and they shouldn't have to prepare for like weird vagaries of a question writer, they should just have to know the material and what the intent of the question type is. Yeah. I think it's true that the kids that are jumping at the pace where those sort of things would mess them up, probably have done their work and know lists and know the material well. Um, Cause the other nice thing about situations is if you're a quizzer who doesn't know the material very well, but you happen to know who said this quote and no one else is jumping the quiz master reads the whole thing, and you don't have to finish it. So I found that to be nice as well. But I'm talking from a quizzer's perspective. So what do you think, Griffin? Well, so I have a couple of, of thoughts. I like 
situation questions, I dislike them and I loathe them from three different perspectives. Um, so, uh, let's see, uh, this is my second year back in, uh, well, I guess starting third year back in after, I don't know, a couple of years or some number of years off. And, you know, my, my, I think I had 11 years in before I took my, my few years off, uh, in between. Um, and to get kind of get, get back into the swing of things, I participated a lot in the, uh, the, the quizzing practices that were taking place in Tacoma. And mm-hmm. oftentimes what I would do is I, you know, my son Xander, uh, and I, we would uh, drive out to the practice. He would go and practice and I'd, I'd sit in the back with my laptop writing questions and stuff. But then after a while, you know, I just get bored. And so I would jump in and find an empty seat and I'd start jumping and quizzing. And awesome. so as a, you know, pretend quizzer, I guess. I loved situation questions because they were so easy to get. <laughs> you know, most of the time I was like, I wait till the quote's nearly done, jump, finish out the last couple of words. And then you can almost, it, I mean, it, it's, you could almost guess the answer correct most of the time, or at least you can get very close. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now at a full, at a full competitional level, you know, especially if you're talking about, you know, championship quizzes or, you know, final nine or something like that, that sort of strategy breaks down very quickly because you've you got a lot of, a lot of other people who are jumping as well. But I think at a church level, you know, little old Griffin sitting in a corner was able to get a couple of questions and, you know, it's like, Hey, cool. I can actually quiz, you know, kind of stuff and made <laughs> me feel good. But as a, as a quiz master, I dislike the question type in for exactly the same reasons that, that, that Scott said it, it's, it's kind of a struggle to write them in a consistent, clear sort of, um, no trickery kind of a way. Um, cause I, I just, I don't like trick questions. I just want things to be, you know, clear and unambiguous. And if, you know, I, I always want to come back to the, the idea, pre, the prevailing theory, anyway, of mine, is that if a quizzer has memorized the verse word perfect, they should get the question right, you know, kind of stuff. Like, like if they've really put in the time and memorized, like, like if they jump and they make a mistake, that happens. That's understandable. Uh, and, you know, the error and it's just a, an oops, I made a mistake. But by and large, if a person memorizes, they should be able to get a question correct. And if I'm, yeah. if there's trickery involved in writing the question such that somebody who has the material memorized can't get it right, then I sort of... I, I cry shenanigans a, a little bit uh, for, for questions like that. And so situations for me kind of feel that way, mm. but the loathing part is something Scott didn't bring up, but I think it's something that, that Scott and I talked about uh, recently, although I don't think it was actually during a podcast recording. And that is, if you think conceptually around question types, question types by and large denote difficulty to some degree. Like there's always variance, yeah. right? Um, but like a quote question, if you think like, like not a quote, these two verses, but a quote, a single quote, a single verse quote has a certain range of difficulty based on the difficulty of the actual verse itself. But it sort of fit that range is sort of on a bigger spectrum. It sort of fits on a location, right? And then like an interrogative, you know, again, has a range depending on, you know, where the, you know, is it, does it start with a what, uh, or does it end with a what or these sorts of things? And how many, how many syllables does it have before it becomes key and all this sorts of stuff? There's certainly a range of interrogatives, but they, they sort of sit that, that range is sort of, small-ish and sits in this larger spectrum, right? And I think all of the quizzing types sort of have that. 
uh, as there are various different ranges. And you can say sort of unambiguously that a quote question is harder than an interrogative, that a chapter reference question is harder than an interrogative, but probably not as hard as a quote, you know, these sorts of things, right? Mm -hmm. Then you get to a situation question and it's sort of like, it's all over the map, right? They're just sort of like everywhere. Um, and so, um, I don't know. It's it's probably it's bordering on quizzing heresy to to suggest that uh, you know doing away with situation questions. So I won't go quite that far. Um, but I'm also I'm I, I have many I, I I pronounce many heresies. Like um, I'm I'm a big pronouncement of the dropping of the zero for the scoring because it's kind of pointless. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. uh, I don't know. I'm a her- I'm a quizzing heretic. That's what I am. If you're yeah. in charge, Griffin, we're going to have no situation questions. Um, perfect nines and pu- push button quizzing. Well, yeah, but here's the thing: I will never be in charge, so everyone is safe. Oh, okay. <laughs> perfect nine just has that ring to it, doesn't it? Oh, it totally does, though, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, Griffin, you would do it with pads. Pads, I make would. I, mean. I would I never join another district like program that used push buttons. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I don't know. That's probably a bridge too far. But like, you could agree with me though that, that dropping the zero, like, just drop the zero. There's no point to it, right? Uh, but then, if there's no point to it, then there's no point to have it or to not have it. Like, it's all the same. Well, sure, but it's arbitrary. Like, like in, somebody gets a touchdown in football, and we'll give him seventy points instead of seven. It's kind of like, well, okay, great. We've just like times everything by 10. It's sort of, sort of pointless, but here's something that I don't think is heresy that I would like to see maybe happen or at least considered uh, maybe in the, in the future years. And that is awarding different values uh, for different types of question. So for mm-hmm. example, like, you know, let's say in, in Griffin's world, an interrogative is not worth 20. It's worth two, but a quote question is worth three because it's harder. Hmm. You know, I, I, I think the, the scale of hard and easy, though, is a little bit subjective because I think it depends on the quizzer you're talking to. Because for me as a quizzer, a quote was infinitely easier than an interrogative because quotes are predictable. I get the reference. I know the verse. I quote the verse. Where interrogatives, if I happen to hit on a five-syllable, you know, inch part of the question that's not key, I can't get the question. So are we talking like, assuming they got the full question out or how are we defining hard and easy? That's a good point. But, but I could also make the argument that a quote question could be jumped on prior to the conclusion of the reference. And that's one thing we ran into Griffin when you and Jeremy and I had our question difficulty summit where we came up with so many ways that the difficulty of a question can be variable unrelated to like just, I, I almost said unrelated to the question itself. That's not what I mean. But as Abby points out, the pace at which you jump to a question radically changes how difficult mm-hmm. it is a, in conjunction with um, how long it takes it to become unique, right, from the quizzer's perspective. Um, and so for the average quizzer, a quote is probably more difficult than the average question. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, say if you... If it's from a John chapter with 80 verses, then maybe it's way, way harder than the average question, even for a very, very well-studied quizzer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could come up with all different sorts of scenarios. Yeah. Well, then, okay, then how about this one? Uh, a third quizzer bonus is worth plus one. 
-hmm. not plus 10 because zeros are evil. Um, So a a third quizzer bonus is plus one. And a fourth quizzer bonus is plus two. I could go for that. Fourth person bonuses are really, really difficult and rare. I think they should be rewarded. So I like that. And a fifth quizzer bonus is worth three. That would be cool. It happens so rarely, though. Like, have we had one in the district, like, recently at all? I don't know about recently. It has happened. I remember it happened in my room. uh, It would have been a number of years ago. Um, But, uh, yeah, it is very, very rare. It's usually, it would mostly be like at at, at Great West or Internationals, that sort of thing. That's true. Of course, at Internationals, it's sort of like the fifth quizzer bonus is kind of pointless because pretty much everyone gets a fifth quizzer bonus usually. Um, but, you know, I think it, 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 if it sort of encourages putting uh, groups together. That being said, I'm also really not a fan of substitutions, but I don't know. How do you feel about substitutions? Mm, my perspective on substitutions really changed when I was a sub at Internationals uh, my first year. Um, and it kind of ties into that first year at Internationals changed my perspective on a lot of things at Quizzing. Because it was the first time in my life where I found myself unable to get questions. Um, up until that point, if I studied, if I put in the work, I did just fine. I got 90s. I quizzed out. I was happy. But that year at Internationals, I had studied. I put my life on hold, as my best friend said. And But for the life of me, I could not win jumps at Internationals. I don't know if it was like a, like a psychology thing with my brain that I just couldn't get to that point. But for me, being in that position and being the sub on the team, being subbed out was actually a relief. Like, for being in that kind of a pressured situation where I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't do it, I was really struggling, and then to be still a part of the team, but to be able to just encourage my team members and be supportive and not be in the hot seat, that was really a blessing. So up until that point, I had thought that it must be so horrible to be the sub, but Having experienced that, I now see that for some quizzers, being in that situation might actually help them and they might enjoy only being in the hot seat half the time. What do you guys think? Yeah, uh, well, I, I will say for me, the experience of, of attending internationals was definitely shifted my view of internationals. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it definitely, I mean, it was a very good, it was a very positive experience and I, I, I you know, it's a, it's a wonderful thing seeing that level of competition. I mean, it's, it's crazy awesome. Uh, but one of the things that really sort of solidified in me was, was a couple of things. One was that I was, I sort of really became passionate about being, uh, seeing accuracy in terms of officials, in terms of, of, of reading questions and about rulings that like the rulings needed to be consistent. Uh, and according to the rule book, not according to what we wanted, that was one sort of thing I got out of internationals. The other thing that was really impactful to me was realizing that as, as awesome as internationals is, because it is a great motivator for people in the, you know, the top, say, you know, 15 or 20 or something like that. Internationals is a massively awesome motivator. It really did sort of bring home, at least for me, the point of saying that 
while a good motivator, quizzing doesn't exist for internationals. Um, yeah. I'd say internationals exist for quizzing. Uh, and that the real, the, this, the great value and the goal of quizzing is actually not the top five, but really sort of the bottom half. Um, and, and that's, I mean, that's not really the right way to say it because it's really everybody, uh, everybody gets something out of it for memorizing, but it's this, I think the, 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 the more people we can get to memorize even just a handful of verses, that's sort of, for me, the, the juice, uh, so to speak. And so it's sort of reinforced to me how, how really quizzing is a district level activity. Uh Scott, are you back or are you still having headphone issues? I am back. Yay. Um, you guys touched on a lot of topics just now. I don't even know which one to jump in at. I think substitutions is an interesting one. I think I've never had more fun quizzing than when I was on a team of five. Mm. But at the same time, I, I understand why, um, substitutions can be, um, a complicating factor that is an annoyance. Um, cause I guess I, I have had to coach a team with a sub, but, um, I've never had more fun quizzing with five people because uh, it just felt so much more like a team mm-hmm. where within the district, I often got 90s in quizzes. If I didn't, my team probably would lose. Um, but then you get to internationals and the difficulty level is ratcheted up a lot. But it's a different dynamic of if three people out of the five get one question in a quiz, you have maybe even a two thirds chance of winning that quiz. Um, and it was, it felt much more like a shared experience than an individual experience at that point, which I thought was really fun. Um, but I also understand at the district level or even at the great West level, how there's a lot of value from not having to deal with a sub and just having all the members of the team quizzing all the time. And so maybe the difficulty and pressure level of internationals is almost tailor made for having a sub where you can kind of give quizzers breathers. Mm -hmm. And then talking about not exactly why does quizzing exist, but the idea of the most motivated, highest scoring quizzers and where do they fit in the intent level of quizzing as, as a whole. And it's a really tough concept for me because in general, I'm, I'm more of the economic theory where a rising tide um, rises all boats, but that's also more of a, a capitalist type standpoint, which um even if capitalism does rise all boats, it almost um, guarantees you're going to have a certain percentage um, living in poverty. Mm-hmm. And I think quizzing might be no different. Like it's one thing, because I think in general you're using competition as a motivating factor to get youth to do something that they, they wouldn't do on their own. Mm-hmm. And so in my head, well, let's do more of that motivation thing to get them to do more of the thing that they would not do on their own. And it's kind of like, we'll just hope that the competitive structure provides some incentive for all quizzers, even if it's not much of an incentive to some. Um, But I don't really know. It's hard for me to know how to modulate that approach Mm because it's kind of like you have to have a competitive structure with winners and losers. Otherwise, you have like no amount of competitive structure. Mm-hmm. even though there probably is some sort of um, balance to be gained. And I wonder if if it is through divisions that a lot of um, districts have. They either have a junior and a senior division or a, 
a club 100, a club 200, club 300, where kids kind of get to pick their own quote unquote motivation level. And then they're able to become like rise to the top of the specific level that they have self-selected themselves into. So you're kind of acknowledging that people might have a range of, of number of verses that they want to memorize. And you're just trying to bring them to the top of their range. You're not attempting to bring everyone to the top of the top person's range. Um, and so I wonder if that sort of structure can also be very useful. Yeah, It's a tough thing to me because in my head, if you don't have the competitive structure, then no one would want to come. But it's not like the kids that aren't memorizing the whole material come because there are kids that memorize more than them. You know, like they're mm-hmm. coming for something else. <laughs> and so if there are other things that we can optimize or maximize to, to increase the experience for them too, that would be great. I'm kind of rambling, but that's what we do on this podcast. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's a big question that uh, our district has to look at because I know at one point in the past, the idea of divisions was brought up and that that was fairly quickly set aside uh, with concerns of like dividing kids up or creating a hierarchy. But I really, I don't know what the solution is. Um, I'd say that in Lighthouse Cuisine, on a smaller scale, we've been working through some of the kind of the same things because we have so many kids. And really, for a while, we were really competition-focused. And so now we were trying to just say, okay, let's build the community. Let's get these kids in God's Word. And let's get them memorizing something. And so that's been really great. We had the kids at the end of the year share their favorite things and it was so cool to hear about the friendships they've built and the community they have and how much they love cuisine. Um, but then, then there's this also thought of, okay, well, how do we help them get to the next level, both in terms of competition, but also just in studying God's word? How do we take a kid that memorized 10 verses this year and try to help them memorize more next year? And so we're trying to brainstorm ideas for encouraging them in that way. But then it's this other side of how do you encourage them on the competitive structure side? So. I don't know, maybe divisions are the answer, or maybe there's something else out there that we haven't tried yet. I don't know. Because the one thing I don't like about divisions is I don't like the idea of roughly half the quizzers don't see the other half the quizzers, like for an entire meet. I don't know. It could be a small thing, but I like like the amount of of mixing. You kind of end up quizzing against everybody, um, seeing everybody, interacting with everybody. Yeah. There's some logistical hurdles to it as well, uh, right? Sure. Like, there definitely is, you know, um, because if you have divisions, there are going to be different competitive levels. So probably only the people in the more senior division would be eligible for things like Great Western Internationals. But what if mid-year quizzers from the lower division want to move up? Um, You know, what what sort of, you know, how do you do all that modulating? And then um, if you have a church of four quizzers and three want to be in one division and one wants to be in the other division... Do you have a team of one? Are you going to mix kids from different churches to form larger teams? Like there, there are logistical hurdles, but um, to me, I'm willing to tackle logistical hurdles for a greater benefit of the program if you know if we can. Yeah, certainly. Mm-hmm. One question that it keeps coming back into my mind is uh, around the idea of recruiting. We talked a little bit about recruiting quizzers, and and I think. You know, Abby's comments about quizzers recruiting future quizzers is really on point. Thinking more macroscopically across the district, 
is there a way, how, how can we recruit new churches uh, or, or recruit churches that used to quiz and don't anymore? How do we get ourselves to kind of grow in that capacity? Because we're, we're losing probably a couple of churches this year uh, compared to, or this coming season compared to last season. Uh, how do we reverse that? Mm, that's another tough one. And I mean, we've been reaching out to some churches in the area in the last few years, and we have one family at our quiz program that's looking to potentially try to break off in the next year or so and start their own at their church. Um, One thing, if possible, that really helped our quiz program was getting youth pastor support. And what had to happen was they had to see it. And they had to interact with our kids and to see, like, the impact that it's making. And really... Quizzing in general isn't typically a youth pastor-led ministry. It's typically a parent or someone else. And so it doesn't have to be the youth pastor leading it. But if whoever's leading the program has church leadership support, it makes it so much easier to do promotions and to reach out to kids. Um, and another thing is that if there is a former quizzer or someone who's been heavily involved in quizzing who's starting the program, that helps it to last much longer. Um, I don't remember which what their names were, but we had a couple churches in the last five years or so that tried to start and didn't end up continuing, I think because they didn't have that bank of knowledge behind them. So maybe the answer is to have some of these churches like partner with a current program that's more local to them for a little bit until they get the hang of it and then to start out. Um, but I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts on building the program? This has always been one of the toughest areas to me because – there is so much knowledge from experience in quizzing that seems like it's required to um, run a program that exists. Um, and to me, that's unfortunate. You know, I wouldn't want it to be this giant learning curve of knowledge that you need to, to just start. But I, I also don't know how to go about it, go about changing that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think if there are ways we can leverage te- technology to um, help either demystify or teach or make easier some of the processes like understanding the rules um, or writing questions or running a quiz practice. It could ease some of the difficulty of just the logistics of running it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really don't know. I think that could be a key spot because one thing in transitioning the White House Cuisine Program over to new leadership has been making everything more streamlined and accessible Um, We've been utilizing Google Docs a lot for a lot of our scheduling and information. And and the other thing is Griffin's quizzing app, which I think is amazing and I love it. Um, The idea of having questions on there for next year that are accessible for all practices just takes that element of question writing off of the coach's plate. And that was such a huge and daunting thing for even for me transitioning out and handing over to someone else that so few people know how to write questions or know how to use the programs through which they could access questions, that having a central question base that's very easily accessible, I think will make that whole process smoother. Yeah, I'm hopeful to have some sort of a default question set, because I think even if there's a question set that is freely available that's mm-hmm. one-third the size of, yep. or even a quarter, 20% of the size mm-hmm. um, of a district question set, it's still incredibly useful right, for a program leader to be able to just generate question sets for their practices and don't have to worry about valid questions, spending the time to do it, and all that jazz. I think that could be a big, big help. I think another alternative as well would be having 
a bank where just any coaches or quizzers who are writing them can dump them in and can kind of be a community effort as well. Um, Because I know some of our seniors, I think they've already started writing questions, which more power to them. They rock. So um, I think something like that could also be an alternative to maybe have some different options for people. I think we've set them up, right, Griffin? At least one of, I know of at least one Lighthouse Quizzer that has an app, um, an account in the app. Yeah, I think there's a handful of folks, um, two or three, I forget exactly what the count is. Um, certainly, you know, anybody who wants to join in uh, can get access to it. Uh, we've got a fair number of folks, I don't know, probably up to six or seven now, who are actually from outside uh, P&W, uh, oh, from wow. other districts and so forth. I mean, they're, they're, they're playing around and they're they're kind of poking around. They're all part of the P&W district in terms of, you know, as far as the app is concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'd love to see that split out in, in the near future where, you know, uh, it different, different uh, districts can have their own sort of unique programs and, and their own settings and, and, you know, levels of customization because, you know, each district can do rules slightly different, can do uh, timing slightly different. You know, we have different, you know, customizations that we do locally. Uh, and having that kind of flexibility is kind of nice in there. Uh, I'd love to sort of, I've, I've been bantering around in my head, this idea of maybe coming up with like a quizzing documentary or like a series mm-hmm. of YouTube videos or something like around the idea of, of instructional, I, I guess instructional, but I'm not sure exactly the right word, but basically saying like, Hey, you want to be a coach? Here's how you can be a coach and you don't have to do anything. You just have to commit a little bit of time. Uh, and you will change, uh, people's lives forever. Uh, you know, kind of stuff like the, the thing I think that, that it all comes back to is, recognizing, and this is something, you know, I think Scott and I have talked about in podcasts of the past. It's getting parents and pastors to recognize, and I really shouldn't say parents or pastors, really anybody in the congregation, uh, pastors or laity, to recognize that quizzing, while it is a commitment, it provides so much more uh, than a lot of other programs that are there, it can motivate and change and really, really radically positively impact people for the rest of their life in, 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 in amazing, amazing, uh, visible, awesome ways. And, uh, you know, I don't want to rag on other programs, but because, uh, you know, any program that gets somebody uh, closer to God, yay, uh, that's the goal of any program. Uh, or should be the goal of any program. And that's, and, and that's great if it does. But I look at quizzing in particular as, as unique. It's, it's hard for me. In fact, uh, and I'm, obviously I'm very biased, but it's very hard for me to see any other program that has the kind of potential that quizzing does to positively impact the lives of, of participants, not just the quizzers. Certainly it's going to impact mm-hmm. their lives the most, but I, I mean, I, I think quizzing has a positive impact on coaches and parents and staff and uh, officials and volunteers. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful program and sort of the difference between sort of like going to PE in high school and trying out for the track team. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's this, it's like, there's, there's a bar. You, you can't just go and sit on the corner and expect the same sort of experience that people who are, you know, working really hard are getting out of, uh, out of the sport, you know, using the track and field metaphor. But if you do try, even if you're not particularly good at running around a track, 
uh, you're going to get something out of it, and it's going to be a positive, rewarding experience. And that, that's sort of where I see, you know, quizzing. I want to try to instill that notion, the notion that there is such value in this to people who could actually spearhead new programs. Um, and I'm, I'm still trying to figure out the best way to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the video avenue could be a really um, possible way to help impact a larger group of people. Because I know the impact that workshops had in our program. But I think that videos of explaining and having potentially like coaches who've been through it and have experienced the benefits and blessings of quizzing to share that with other people could be an avenue to use. Well, Scott, we are at a little over an hour at this point. Do you have any uh, final questions for Abby? Hmm. Boy, I can't think of any. I'm sure I'm going to think of 11 once we're <laughs> the second we hit stop on our recording. Um, <laughs> you're moving out to Wisconsin. Is that yep. right? Okay. Yep. Okay. Wisconsin. Very cool. Um, except not cool because you're coming back, right? You guys are moving <laughs> back. This is a, uh, or at least you're going to move out there and uh, get hooked up in some sort of uh, quizzing program out there, I think as well. Right. <laughs> um, maybe we'll see. I know great lakes is in Michigan, so that's a bit of a hike, but we'll see. Yeah, it is true. What, you guys need to get yourself a little airplane, and then uh, you can participate in uh, quizzing uh, all over that area. Uh-huh. Well, I hear you have a plane, Griffin, so I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, absolutely committed to not driving to Madras uh, this year. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly to Madras. I was actually hoping to do that this last season and it didn't work out for, you know, in terms of uh, safety for weather and and a few other factors, but this year, this year it's going to happen. I'm going to fly uh, to Madras. Wow. You should document the experience. I think a lot of kids would be jealous. (laughs) I I think I actually have to go up and and pick up a few people. I think I've, I've committed myself to picking up uh, Micah from uh, uh, Bellevue and -hmm. picking up, uh, I think, um, uh, actually both of the grosses, I think I'm going to, I'm going to pick up, or at least one of the two grosses, if not both of them from, uh, Hoquiam or Aberdeen or some, wherever the airport is out, out in that direction. And then, uh, do a big, uh, left turn and head out over to Madras. So it'll be a, it'll be a fun adventure. Yeah, for sure. Well, definitely, uh, you know, Keep us in the communication loop. It's very mm-hmm. sad to see you move on to other things, but exciting to see you move on to other things also. Uh, but uh, obviously know that uh, there's always a home uh, mm-hmm. in quizzing for you uh, when, not if, but when you guys decide to move back to the awesome that is known as the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. Thank well, you. We, have no- we have nothing here called Tundra. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. Well, cool. It was awesome to have you be the inaugural guest on our podcast. Thank you. I was honored to be a part of this. Sweet. And hopefully it's not going to be the last guest. Hopefully we can still get guests to come on our show, Griffin. <laughs> I hope so, too. I think it's been a great experience. Uh, I've, obviously, we won't do it every episode or, some, uh, or so, but it would be great to get uh, other perspectives beyond uh, just Scott and myself. So with that, we'll uh, just remind everybody yet again, if you have any questions of any kind related to quizzing or Christianity or anything, uh, even aviation, I guess, uh, since I guess we talked about that uh, a little bit in the podcast today, please email your questions to IQ, 
uh, at cbqz.org. So it's insidequizzing at cbqz.org. And you can follow us on Twitter at insidequizzing. And with that, I will uh, say thank you to Abby and to Scott, and thank you all. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you.